talking about a theme through the first part of fall, but because uh, you know a lot of folks are going to be gone, I wanted to just uh, take a break from that and talk about something that just has to do with the scriptures. Uh, I remember a few years back, I got invited over to the uh, First Unitarian Universalist Church to, actually, I got invited there several times to be involved in, uh, well, they were loosely called debates, and uh, I remember the the editor of, uh, gosh, was it Skeptic Magazine? I forget what the guy's name was. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I didn't forget what we were debating about. But what the first point he made was he said, uh, Jesus was a myth. He never existed. And, I, and everyone just clapped and said, yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, because I talked to a lot of the folks there. And, and there were quite a few people there who, you know, who had actually graduated college and postgraduate degrees. And I just thought, you guys really can't be like that uninformed to, to applaud uh, a statement like that. That's a, that there isn't a, a, a serious scholar in the world uh, who believes that Jesus didn't exist. <laughs> they might, you know, take issue with what, what certain facts of the New Testament argue, but none of them would ever debate that Jesus existed. And so it, it, it wasn't a surprise, but, you know, when you, what I want to talk about today is the scriptures, but that, that response and that statement was sort of uh, common to the public view about faith and things. And when you think about the Bible, people have all kinds of views about the Bible. Uh, from, on one hand, people say that, hey, the Bible is just a book full of myths. It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's a scam. It is, uh, you know, it's no more uh, important a, a source of, of truth than uh, the 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 stall wall in the men's bathroom. And, uh, and then there's other people who say, no, 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 that's, that's wrong because it's clear that the Bible's influenced uh, the world in positive ways, but it's still kind of a mixture of uh, good ideas and, uh, you know, kind of backward notions. And then there, you know, uh, people who are serious about their faith, Christians, followers of Jesus, would say, no, the Bible's God's word. And there's all kinds of other views in there. And, you know, when we, uh, what I wanted to ask you today was to think about this with me, uh, because Jesus, if you read the New Testament, Jesus had a view about the scriptures. I mean, this, this book, which, well, really, he only had about two-thirds of it because it, he had the Old Testament, uh, but we can project into his views about the New Testament. We're going to talk about that today. But what did he think about the Old Testament? What did he think about the scriptures? What was his view? Did he have a view about them? Did he even talk about the Old Testament scriptures? Or was he just talking about love and peace and, you know, being chill? Uh, a lot of people think, because they, they haven't really read the Bible, that, that Jesus didn't have much to say about what we call the scriptures. And I want to look at that issue today. Uh, because if you're going to try to figure out how the Bible relates to your life, uh, if you're going to figure out if it has anything to say to you, I think a good starting place would be, what did Jesus think about it? Uh, I think most people who've read Jesus at all in the New Testament think, this guy was pretty sharp. You know, he had some, some way ahead of his time 
things to say, and in fact, things that we're still struggling to, to get our arms around and embrace and, and live out. And he really seemed to be the kind of person that uh, impacted people when they took what he said seriously. And actually, if you read the New Testament and, and just the, the, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus had a lot to say about the Scriptures. And so I want to look at that. I'm just going to give you, a, in your program, I gave you four, I kind of summarized it because this, it's a big subject. And, I, and there's no way we're going to go very deep into it. But I want to give you just four points that Jesus made about what he thought about the Scriptures. Now, you might not agree with them. Uh, I think they're compelling. I think they're persuasive. But uh, I'm just going to offer them to you for you to wrestle with and think about and consider. Uh, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I want to read a passage. This is in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew five seventeen to 19, Jesus said this, or 17 to 20. He said, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. And that was a that was a Jewish way of saying the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, uh, all the literature from Genesis to Malachi, which we call the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen, which he's talking about uh, Jewish uh, letters. Uh, if you've ever read Hebrew, uh, a jot and a tittle, these are, these are the words he's using here, are just like apostrophes and commas. They're, you know, they're, they're like the tiniest part of the text. And what he's saying is not, not even the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Every, or anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell... Oh, now stop there. Uh, Jesus is... there's a lot in that one passage. I'm not going to unpack the whole thing. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and I think there's more than can be said from what I said last time and even this time. He said three things there. He he just put forward this idea that he saw the Scriptures as authoritative. In other words, he said, listen, these things are compelling and commanding. They carry God's authority. That, That Scripture is God's Word. The Scripture is God's Word. The, the view you get of the whole Old Testament is that God speaks. God communicates. God makes himself real. You know, I've, I've, I've told you before, uh, a popular idea is that all religions are speaking the same thing. And that because God is incomprehensible, everybody agrees that every religion that, that has a, a theistic view, like Buddhism is not a a theistic religion. But if a religion has a theistic basis, they will say uh, that God is immense and he's great and he's, he's beyond any of our comprehension. But people who look at all the different things that people say 
uh, years ago, someone came up with an idea. Well, it's like, you know, it's like a, we're all like a blind man looking at an elephant. And I've used this illustration before. You know, the, each person finds a part of the elephant and says, oh, the elephant's like this, he's like this, he's like this. And, of course, the point of that illustration is that, oh, no one can see the whole thing. Uh, God is incomprehensible, and we can each only see a part. And we can't say that our part, it, it, what we see is true, but it's incomplete. And, uh, you know, a, f- a famous English missiologist, who'd, he'd, been a, he'd been a missionary, he became a sociologist, and uh, he just said that's, a, that's, that's a, a terrible illustration to explain all, all the world religions, because uh, that point of view refutes the, the point. It says, we can stand outside what everybody else sees and see how mistaken they are. Well, that means that you have a perspective that they don't have, which refutes the point you're making. And what Christians say is, it is true that God's incomprehensible, but the cool thing is, God speaks. The elephant talks, in a sense. He says, no, you're grabbing my leg, you know, uh, that, that, my leg is not the whole of me. You're grabbing my trunk, the trunk's not the whole of me. And so, God speaks. Uh, he condescends to come down to our level and reveal himself to us in a way that we can understand. Is he beyond what we know? Yes. But we can't know him. We can't know the total of him, but we can know him in a real way. We can actually have a relationship with him. That's what, that's what the whole Old Testament commends as, as a fact. And so Jesus said, if you, if you read... Uh, Jesus' words carefully, he saw the Bible as God's, the scriptures as God's word, but he, he saw them as authoritative. And he proclaimed them, he defended the Old Testament, he obeyed it, he studied it, he applied it, and he even said, I'm fulfilling scripture. Every single command, I'm going to fulfill them all completely and perfectly. That was part of why he came. And he said it won't pass away, it's eternal. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, prophets and writers said, God's word is eternal. It doesn't pass away. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. People pass away. Great people who are very influential, important, and powerful. The Old Testament over and over said those people are like flowers that bloom and then they fade. Like the grass that that grows green and then fades and dies. But God's word lasts forever. And Jesus echoes that here in this passage we read. And he said it's true. Now, this is the wild, one of the wild things. A lot of people think that Old Testament stories and figures and, and events were all uh, made up. Because, you know, God forbid, who, who, who could believe that a fish could swallow a person? Which is a big point in the story of Jonah. Uh, or, you know, that uh, a, a, a tiny boy could slay a giant warrior. And we have been taught to believe over and over and over that, hey, huh, all that stuff was just metaphorical. But Jesus, if you read Jesus over and over and over, he talked about Noah and Adam and Eve and Lot and, and David and the prophets and, and, and Egypt and the Exodus and he treated it like it was, in fact, historical and accurate. It was true. 
Now, you, you could quibble with that, but this is the one thing about archaeology. The, the, the interesting thing about where most of the story we read in the Bible happened, it happened in the Middle East, and it happened in a very dry place. It's a super dry place. And, so, and it's also a very old place, and it's very interesting, and there's a lot of archaeological uh, activity there. And so archaeologists are constantly digging things up and finding them. And the way archaeology work is, works is they will, they will uncover something, and, and they start digging around it, and they uncover more and more things, and they will take them, and they'll put them in warehouses, and they'll catalog them, and then other people will come behind them and start studying them. And so someone will find something that's interesting, and then they'll find a lot of other stuff, but they might not immediately recognize the significance of all these other things that they found, but being you know, good scientists, they take the stuff, they store it, and then other people who are professional academics will come and look at that, and they'll start comparing it. And there's never been an archaeological discovery in the Middle East that has refuted something in Scripture. For years and years and years, they didn't think King David existed. They thought, he, again, he was just a metaphor. Until about 15 years ago, uh, there was some construction in, uh, in the Judean area, and they, they dug some ground up, and they found this arch. And on the capstone of the arch, it had an inscription to King David. And it went back to the time, about 800 B.C., when David lived, and they just went, oh my gosh. Because they'd never found anything besides the Bible that referred to King David until they found in Hebrew letters King David. And over and over and over and over, you know, the real world confirmed all this curious stuff. But Jesus believed it was all true, which I know a lot of times it's hard for us to believe in miracles. If you've never seen a miracle in front of you, you, you know, I can understand your beliefs, though, are conditioned by your experience. They're not necessary, which, you know, that's normal for us, what we believe to be conditioned by our experience. But a lot of you believe that places exist that you've never been to because you've seen them on the internet or someone, one of your friends has vacationed there or whatever. You believe things based on the credibility of other people. Well, that's what the whole Bible's based on. It's saying there's credibility in this, and Jesus is the most credible person that we have, and he took Scripture seriously. And I know that you know that's embarrassing today uh, in some people's minds. And I know, I, I know, because I've talked to plenty of people, uh, and I felt it myself when I, you know, when I have conversations at parties and things, and I say I believe the Bible, I get these looks from people like, <laughs> "Really? You really seem like a normal person up to that point." <laughs> You know, and, and I feel it. You know, don't you feel it? Sometimes you don't even want to talk about it. Like, I know it's going to happen. I'm going to get that. Oh, thank you. You know, oh, hey, Fred. You know, <laughs> they're going to walk away from you as quickly as they can. But that's what Jesus believed. And, and just to summarize this point, he believed, and this is what Christians have believed, that God actually exercises his authority through his word. That he works through his word. This, this, that, that his word, the scriptures, have this power, this unique power 
that God works through it. And, and to be honest with you, if you go back in the world and look where this book has taken root and where people have taken it seriously, you start seeing freedom and redemption and, and life and justice and beauty just start blooming all around it. It's true. You look at, this, you look at the, the, the part of the world under Soviet occupation where they officially declared their country an atheistic community, and it was like it just it was it was like this beautiful flower, and it wasn't no no place is perfect, but it was this that, that just withered. I mean, in Albania, people were so crazy about the idea that God uh, would poison the minds of people that they went to graveyards and they scraped all references to the Bible off of headstones and you know crypts and things because they believed that that you know atheism was uh, scientific and the best way to live and religion was the opiate of the people and look at the world that that produced that idea produced the injustice the the cruelty the violence the darkness and this this thing gives life where it's embraced it 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 breathes life into people second thing jesus believes he believes scripture ordered our lives it ordered our lives it's supposed to order our lives It's supposed to inform how life works, how it works best. Now, Jesus would be asked ethical questions. Like, uh, he'd be asked an ethical question like divorce, and he would say, it is written. And he would refer to, to Scripture to frame his answer. Over and over and over, Jesus took it seriously as the authority in our lives. It should order the way we live our lives, the way we treat our neighbors. And, and even in a culture, like the Jewish culture, which was a scripture-shaped culture, Jesus found the human heart resists being shaped by anything by its, but other than its own will. And there was a Jewish leader that Jesus was talking to, for example, a Jewish a leader, a teacher, who was, was asking Jesus, he was kind of checking out Jesus' bona fides. Like, if you're really from God, that you're going to teach, you know, the truth, blah, blah, blah. And so they had this back and forth discussion, and Jesus said, yeah, and the, the, the law can be summed up in two words. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And it says that this, this teacher of the law wanted to justify himself, and so he used this and this is what we do as human beings. He didn't like the second part of what Jesus said. Because you can say you love God. And sometimes there's no way to, to show that in certain circumstances. In a, in a culture like that, where religion and faith was a really big part of how everybody lived. But Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. And it says, this man, something that pricked something in his heart. And it says he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? That's what we say about the unborn. Is the unborn, are they my neighbor? Are, the, are immigrants my neighbor? 
All these people, you know, we define things so that we can live with it. And so Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. You guys know that story. I'm not going to tell you the story going to the point. But it, it was a point about religious people who saw a person in need and they avoided meeting their need. And so the point of the parable was, your neighbor is anyone whose need you're in a position to meet. Which means we can't meet the need of every person in the world. Sometimes that's why this thing is such a burden to us. Because we look at needs all over the world, and we don't see the person next door whose need we're really called to meet. And, you know, we, we get on a crowdfunding campaign for someone across the world, and we forget about our neighbor. And that's what they were doing. And they had defined who their neighbors were. But Jesus challenged them, and he always challenges us in, in Scripture, and he always challenges us. And, and basically what he said in this passage that I just read to you in Matthew 5, he said, when you obey Scripture, you're obeying God. If you disobey Scripture, you're disobeying God. That God breathed this thing out. And it's, it's, it's meant for us to live. Now you go, okay, John, that's where it gets really complicated. Because what about eating shellfish and all the wild stuff in there? Uh, well, I told you, this is just going to be a, a rock skipping across this, the, the lake of all that we could talk about with Scripture. Because when you talk about Scripture, there, there's three levels of this that we deal with. There's personal ethics, there's pastoral care, and there's public policy. That Scripture is supposed to inform all three of those. But each one, you have to approach it with the context and complications in mind. We don't have to bend anything. But we live, if you're just talking about how do you apply Scripture to public policy, we live in a democracy where nobody gets to the final word on things. And we have to challenge. And what Christians are supposed to do is we're supposed to contend for a biblical worldview and the implications of it in the public marketplace. But we're competing with people who ever have other worldviews. They don't see things the way we see them. But it doesn't mean that we drop our convictions. Because why should their worldview be privileged over ours? It shouldn't. So we shouldn't be timid about arguing. And I think you have to be wise about, you can't just say we should do this because the Bible says it. I mean, that'll work here for pastoral care and personal ethics. But when you get to public policy... It's going, to, it's going to require more persuasion. Anyway, that's, that's why I you know, just wanted to mention that. I'm not ignorant of that fact, but we're talking about how does it shape your life. And Jesus said it's supposed to order our lives. If you go back in the, uh, later in the New Testament, Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 3, he says, all scriptures God breathed. In other words, it's the word of God and the words of people in history. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he's basically saying, it's supposed to shape your beliefs and your behavior. Teaching, reproof, correcting, training in righteousness. It's supposed to shape your beliefs and your behavior. It's supposed to, to inform what you believe and how you behave. Jesus, uh, all the way through the Bible, everybody had that common sense that, that Scripture is supposed to 
be something that orders our lives. The third thing is Scripture is powerful. And in in Jesus, when he was in the desert, and he was fasting and preparing for his, you know, going into the public and preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he was fasting and praying, he had this uh, confrontation with the devil. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe it, and they basically, they, they describe it just a little differently, each one. But there's a point where, at the end, it says in Luke that Jesus, on the 40th day, he began, became hungry. And you wonder, that's the only time he became hungry? Like, I'm, I'm hungry in 40 minutes, <laughs> right? But when you go on a long fast, your body shuts down. Your appetite shuts down. And after, from 30 to 40 days, depending on the health of the person, when they get hungry again, that's when they're starting to starve. And so Jesus was at a point where he was going to starve. And Satan came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, look around. You know, you, if you're the Son of God, you can turn these stones that are all around you into bread. And Jesus says to him, It is written, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by God's word only. And a more literal way of, of reading that text in the Greek is, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that is continually coming from God's mouth. And so what Jesus was saying, listen, I need to hear God speak to me more than I need food right now. And until he speaks to me, I'm not going to take food and, and feed my soul and Ignore the fact that I'm made for something higher than just sustenance, physical sustenance. And we're constantly tempted by that. We're constantly tempted by fillers. Things that that we can uh, take to to fill the gnawing of our soul that they become substitutes from hearing from God because God's Word is powerful. It is life-giving. And Jesus said, I am not going to make the mistake that everybody else makes because that's part of what Scripture tells us is we need to hear from God all the time, every day. Just like you have to take food in every day, we need to hear from God. He will speak to us from this book and other places if we incline our hearts towards Him and are willing to wait and listen for His Word to come to us. It's powerful. But a lot of times we're willing to just take a substitute. And Jesus said that faith, I'm sorry, uh, Paul said in Romans, he said that faith, faith is born when you hear God's word, the word of Christ. So, and I think most people have experienced this in their life, probably most of you sitting in this room, there'll be times where you hear a passage of scripture and it'll be like, oh, I've never heard that before, even though you've heard it. You've never, you never heard it. It just spoke to you. And you, suddenly you believed God was speaking to you. And something in your heart was awakened. And you went, yes, I want that. I believe that. And it may have been a moment that challenged you. It may have been an invitation to embrace something that God had for your life that you weren't comfortable with before. But as you heard the word, you went, yes, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. And the Word has the power to do that. It's powerful. It's powerful. And 
You may ask, and I'm going to get to this point in just a second. I've got one more point to make. You may ask, how come sometimes it doesn't seem powerful to me? Well, that says something about what's going on in your heart, because it is always powerful. And, I, and I've, I've taught for a long time, and I'm telling you, every week I will get an email or a phone call or a text from somebody who sat here, whether it's Jay teaching, me teaching, Lisa, whoever's teaching here, Terry Wardle, you name it, and they will say, oh my gosh, that just so spoke to me, what they said, what was said, this, what was taught this week. It just like, just got me. And I'll talk to somebody else who, it just went, whoop, right over their heads. And they went, nah, that was, you know, I kind of felt like I wasted my time that Sunday. And you go, well, how come the word was powerful for this person, but it wasn't for that person? And I, I want to tell you why. If, if you've ever asked that question, I want to tell you why in a second. But I want to tell you, it is powerful. In fact, just for a second, before I move on, I want to show you that it's powerful, and just in a practical way. So who here is struggling with some kind of pain in your body right now? Okay, just stand up. Yeah, just right where you are, stand up for just as a little clinic time. Anybody have particularly a problem with neuropathy? I know it's, you know, it's a, uh, a nerve damage, and nobody with neuropathy. Okay, okay. So... Uh, we're just going to pray, just real quickly, and just command that pain to leave your body, right? Uh, the Bible says that we have authority because of Jesus for healing. And we've, we've seen over the, the 35, 30 years of this church's existence, we've really seen thousands of people get healed of things, from cancer to people that are born deaf to you name it. And, and a lot of churches have, because God's word is true. And we've seen, a lot, we've seen more than that not get healed, too. Just let there be, you know, truth in the advertising here. Uh, so just close your eyes for a second, and you know where you hurt, and I'm going to ask you to test it in just a second. And uh, when we pray, sometimes there's an immediate healing, sometimes there's a gradual healing, sometimes you get healed when you walk away. But healing comes many, many times. So in the name of Jesus Christ, with his authority, I just command the pain in your body to leave right now, wherever it is. The pain in your back and your neck and your joints and your, wherever it is, in Jesus' name, let his power come and go through your body right now. Now, I just want you to, to test it a little bit and just see if you, know, if you can move something, see if it still hurts. And whoever has some improvement, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray a couple of times. Go more. Okay, a little improvement there. Uh, anybody have a lot of improvement? Okay, I want to pray again. All right. And in Jesus' name, with his authority, I command the pain to leave your body right now. And whatever the affliction is, whatever the sickness is, whatever the damage is, be completely healed right now. And any chronic pain, we just tell it to go right now. Leave your body and go right now. And I bless you with this peace. Just let this peace come over your body from your head to your feet right now. Okay, that's two. So, who's, showing, who's feeling, test it. Who else is feeling improvement now? Okay, somebody else, a couple more. Okay, one more time. 
And I want, I'm, we're going to look for a complete improvement, all right? In Jesus' name, I command the pain to leave your body right now and not return. And let strength come back in your body. So let strength and God's mercy just come back in your body right now. That's it. Let those joints just move freely again. Let every part of your body work properly and normally in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so some measure. If you were going to say on a scale of 1 to 10, is it about half better or more? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Now, don't lie to me. All right, I'm serious. You don't, there's nothing, I got nothing and none of us have anything riding on this. We just want to pray for you to see that, you know, God touch you. Jay, go. No. Thank you, though. All right, you guys can sit down. Now, God's word is really powerful. You can do this with, you can do this when you say hi to people. How's it going? And when someone says, uh, great, go, no, no, how you really doing? And they go, oh, I got a terrible neck ache. You know, I got, oh, you know, I fell and this or that. Just say, hey, can I pray for you real quick? Just take them by the hand and say, in Jesus' name, let the pain go. Let your back be healed, whatever. Just pray a short prayer like that. Boom. God will touch people right when you pray, but you got to risk it. You got to risk. And some of you are going, yeah, that's it. Right. I'm not going there. Take a chance. You'd be surprised. I have, I have a vineyard acquaintance and in their church regularly, they will have all the kids come in. They have a pretty good-sized church, a uh, couple thousand people. They'll have all the ki- little kids come in. They'll say, who's sick? And they have all the little kids go up and pray for people. And people are healed of cancer. Blind people are healed. You know, amazing miracles. And these kids just pray these little simple prayers. Jesus, make them better, you know. And, and uh, people drop canes and crutches and braces, uh, because Jesus does this stuff. He does it. And we just need to push, push the boundaries out. And it's not, we're not going to push them out. They're going to keep pushing in on us if we don't push back. And I mean in a good way, if you get what I mean. Okay. So the last thing I want you to see is that Scripture was all about Jesus. Jesus, over and over and over, pointed, like even that passage I read in Matthew 5, he said, uh, I didn't come to abolish the scriptures. I came to fulfill them. So he's saying that the whole Old Testament was pointing to him. And we know the New Testament does. But Jesus was this critical figure in all of history. And that God worked in these, these people called Israel for 18, 16, 1800 years roughly and brought the Messiah, they called the Messiah, into the world through their tribe. And then Jesus came and said, everything in their story is my story. And I'm going to fulfill everything in which they failed. And God's kingdom that they all talked about, and that the whole world dreams of, because you can go into every world religion, there's a dream of things being different than the way they are. There's a dream in every person's heart that the world will be a different place than the way it is. And Jesus says, I come to see that dream realized. It is about me. Now, that's a bold statement. It's either true or it's not. There, there isn't any 
other side, then it's true or it's not. And that isn't just sort of a, a little minor comment that Jesus made. It is the heart of everything he taught. That's why Jesus is so polarizing when people really understand him. Because the statements he made were just so bold and so out there. And he said that if you want to know God, God reveals himself through me. And then the church took that and said, everything God has for us comes to us through this person, Jesus. And a Christian is not someone who has embraced the rules of Jesus and is trying to obey those good rules. I don't think that would be a bad idea. I mean, you know, being loving to your neighbor, good idea. Loving your enemies, good idea. Helping the poor, good idea. Loving God, whatever you think about him, good idea. But Jesus went beyond that. He said, if you want to know God, you can only really know him through me. And the Jewish people, they got, hold on, we know who God is. You know, our scriptures, they, they, they believed, they, they honored this book greatly. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus said to them, you search these scriptures because in them you think you have life. But they testify of me. And in John 5, he says, Moses wrote about me. Moses was the most esteemed prophet among all the Jewish people. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. So, he, the, you know, the, the way the gospel it can be explained, I said this, I think, last week, but I'll, I say a lot. Every religion in the world talks about what you're supposed to do. Christianity talks about what Jesus did. Every world religion is about what you have to do to try to find some connection with God. Jesus says, your connection with God is based on who I am and what I did. And so, the gospel just offers us an invitation to know God through Jesus. And, and you know, people have, have described it this way, A, B, C. A, you just have to admit that you've gone your own way. And that, that you've been the architect of the mess in your life. Every one of us are the architects of our own misery and the misery of other people. Well, if we're not willing to admit that, we can't come to terms with, with who Jesus is. Because Jesus says, you know, you've made a mess of things, and you have to admit it to yourself and to others and to me. Take a chance that I'm really there. And then B is you believe that all the mess can be given to Jesus, and he can give you a whole new life if you believe in him. If, if you believe that what he did, he did for you, and that he's the way, the only way to God. And the C part is that you commit your life to him and that you confess him openly. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I believe he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again on my behalf on the third day, and, and he did it all for me, and now he's at God's right hand, and he's in charge of everything. And he's, I don't want to invite him into my life. I want to follow him. A follower of Jesus is a journey. It's not a destination. It's a, it's a way of life. And it's shaped by this book. But he is the focal point of it. See, there, there's, in a journey, there is no straight line journey. 
This is a really important point. There is no straight line journey. People who take this book seriously many times mistakenly say there is a straight line journey. Shortest point, shortest distance between A and B is a straight line. There ain't nobody that walks a straight line. We go like this. I'm moving towards B like this. Okay? Half the time, I'm off in the ditch. I get back up on the road, I go over in the other ditch. I get back up on the road, go in the other ditch. Following Jesus is following him. There's going to be times where you don't follow him well. But you're moving towards him because you're his follower. And the, the people who take this book seriously oftentimes don't really believe in grace. They believe more in the do kind of religion. You got to do it. But the Bible says, take the weight off you and put it all on Jesus. Put it all on him. And people say, but that breeds irresponsibility. No, it doesn't. It hasn't in my life. If you experience grace, if you embrace the ABCs, you go on a journey and your life starts changing. It starts changing. So the question I, I posed, I'm, I'm, we'll finish here, is if Jesus believes Scripture was God's Word, that it orders our life, that's powerful and all about Him, how come so many times it seems irrelevant to me? Now that's the question people ask all the time. And we kind of get embarrassed to ask it because, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's always supposed to be exciting. Everything's supposed to be, you know, green light. But, you know, half the time it's yellow light, red light. Well, Jesus told a parable. I referenced it last week. I'll reference it again because I think it's something that we need to keep being reminded of. We talked about how the word of God is like a man who sowed seed in a field, a farmer who had a field, and he threw seed out into the field. And because they lived in a society that was... Uh, you know, agriculturally based society, different than ours. But a lot of us, we live around farmers, like right across the field there. There's, there's a whole field of corn. And you can see the dynamics of this there. There's, there's parts of that land where the corn is about this tall, and there's parts where it's taller than me. And there's parts where there's no corn. And there's parts where the, 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 the ears of, I mean, the, the stalks of corn are real funky looking and, and you know, sick looking. And Jesus said, sometimes the seed, which is God's word, what we've been talking about, is, falls on the ground that's really hard. And the seed doesn't take root and doesn't grow. In fact, not only doesn't it grow, but birds of the air see the seed, and they come and they eat it and take it away before it has a chance to get in the ground. And then there's shallow soil where the seed goes in, but it doesn't have, it's, it, it's, it's soft on top, but the ground's hard just underneath. And so the, the, the roots can't get down, so it grows quick, and then it withers. Then there's another ground where there's all kinds of uh, you know, agricultural competition with thorns and thistles and weeds and stuff, and it chokes out the corn because there's uh, you know, competition for the nutrients in the soil. And then there's the good soil that, that produces this rich fruit. And he says, the word is preached. It's a parable. The word's preached. And people's hearts are all different. And so the condition of our heart determines whether the word impacts us or not. Because sometimes your hearts are hard. And let me tell you something. 
If there is a part of your life where you're saying, no, Lord, that is a hard heart. I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it really is a contradiction to say, no, Lord. But you can see Peter do that. Peter said, no, Jesus, several times. And Peter was like one of the leading apostles. So we do do it. But when you do that, you are having a hard heart. And the seed, the power of the word, which could bring so much good into your life, cannot penetrate into your heart because your heart's hard, because you're saying no. And, and many times we feel justified. We feel we've got a rationale behind why we say no, right? Think about the last time you said no. You have probably had, in, in your thinking, a good reason for it. Seemed reasonable. Seemed, gosh, every, nobody would ever think I was wrong if I did this. But, but, but that keeps the word from breaking into your heart and, and just working powerfully. Secondly, sometimes we're distracted. We're just distracted. We're all over the place. We don't, we don't give God much time in our lives because there's so many important things out there. You know, gosh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't finished binge watching the latest HBO series, right? I'm catching up on Veep. Oh, well, there's only one Veep person in this crowd. (laughs) I'm catching up on Game of Thrones. Okay, no Game of Thrones crowds in here. All right. My goodness. Uh, We get distracted. And the word just doesn't bear much fruit in our life. Other times, our loyalties are divided. We're chasing after things, thinking, gosh, if I just get this, if I get that, that will pay off in my life. Well, the word and that that other thing, there's something big in your life that you're into, that thing will choke off the word. That's what Jesus said. You go, but isn't the word this powerful thing that created the universe? It is when it's received. It is when it's received. And Long ago, I stopped beating myself up over how you guys respond. Long time ago. Because I've seen person A sit next to person B, and person A just be powerfully impacted, and person B be like a statue, the hard ground. And, and you know, part of my dysfunction and brokenness is everything is my fault. But I learned a long time ago, it's not my fault. Because when I see people hear the word and get touched, and, and the person next to them not, I go, it's not my fault. Because <laughs> the word's powerful, but the word doesn't coerce. Do you understand? It doesn't coerce. So if the word isn't impacting you, you've got to stop and say, why? Why? You can go into any church where someone faithfully expounds the word and God will speak to you. So when someone leaves our church or comes from another church saying, I'm not being fed there, I've been around. I have so many pastoral friends. When people come to our church all the time and they, they go, we're looking for a church, I go, listen, there's a lot of good churches around here. You, you can hang around here as long as you can stand us. Because if, you, if you're coming here thinking it's going to be the people are nicer than the last place you went, you're, you're in for a surprise. They're not. We're not. I'm not a better pastor than that person, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're, in AA, they say, 
when people start trying to deal with their drinking problems, the first, one of the first things they try to do is the geographical fix. That they, they go from here to another locale, but they bring their problems with them. And the problems happen there. And then sometimes they'll move again, thinking, oh, well, i got to get, get away from those people. But the problem is inside us. So the problem is not here. And if you don't feel that God loves you, I promise you, it's not, the problem isn't on God's end. And that's not to lay the blame on you. It's just that you need to understand, if you, if you look at this symbol that's in almost every you know, church building that you come to, the Christians wear around their necks, that should settle whether God loves you or not. Forever. Are you too busy to experience God's love in a way that just causes your heart to sing? Do you know how to calm down and settle down and listen and receive and be vulnerable and trust and be open? Are you willing to stop saying no, Lord, so that the word can get in? That's what it comes down to. So I want to pray, and before we take the Lord's Supper, I just want to pray and ask you to ask the Lord, which kind of soil am I, and what is it that's behind that? Okay?